Today's guest is iconic Australian homeopath Jill Turland, author of Getting Back on Track Using Mega Potency Homeopathy. Jill celebrated her 80th birthday this year on the 13th of November and she is still seeing her existing clients. I've always said I want to still be practicing when I'm 80, so Jill has been such an inspiration to me personally, and it was such an honor to interview her. This interview has really inspired me to start using the mega potencies more in my own clinic. Right off the bat, I want to make it really clear that, shockingly, there has been a printer in Australia that has made illegal pirated copies of Jill's book, and are selling them on some of the major online bookstore outlets. Jill has confirmed with me that she does not receive a single cent of any of the books that are sold on these major bookstore online platforms. Hundreds of people have complained that they have received illegal copies of her book. So I want to bring it to light here on the show so people are aware of what is going on. My heart really broke when Jill told me this, so I have offered to help. Jill has put us in touch with the only printer who has the rights to printing her book, and she has agreed to me selling her book through my website, www.eugeniekruger.com, with the commission of the sales going directly to Jill. So I want to make it very clear that you'll be receiving the original, authorized copy of Jill's book, Getting Back on Track, through eugeniekruger.com and the commission will go directly to Jill, and we're happy to ship internationally. I'm very happy that we can finally set the record straight and support this incredible woman who has created such an important body of work, which us homeopaths and our patients can all benefit from for decades to come. We'll also be mentioning the Mega Potency Facebook group towards the end of this episode. The admin of the group has asked me to make it very clear that you need to first have purchased Jill's book, read the entire book, and only then can you request to join the Facebook group. They have a very strict vetting process, so your request will automatically be declined unless you can demonstrate that you have already read Jill's book. Jill also mentions in this episode the machine that she uses to create the mega potencies. I am currently trying to arrange a deal for our listeners with the company mentioned. If you're interested in purchasing the machine, please email info at eugeniekruger.com and hopefully we can organize a discount for the listeners of the show. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world and now my mum and your host Eugenie Kruger. Hello homies and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today we have an incredibly special guest. The very lovely Jill Turland, right here from Australia. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I also just want to say a very happy birthday to you. You just recently had your 80th birthday on the 13th of November. And just wishing you so much health and happiness you are such an inspiration to me. I've always said I'm still going to be practicing into my 80s if I have my way. But you actually still have clients that you were seeing at 80. Oh, yes, indeed. It's hard to get away from them. I mean, it is a life, lifelong obsession. Hey, But how incredible that you are still consulting at 80 and just, you know, helping so many people. What an inspiration. Well, fortunately, I am also talking to a lot more homeopaths as mm. well and fewer actual patients. 
Mm. Although I've still got my long list of patients from the past coming back to me sometimes. Um, what is your longest standing patient that you've had? How many years? Oh, well, I fixed a bloke with asbestosis in 1993. And in 2012 or 13, he had his 20 year checkup and was still free of asbestosis. <laughs> and he was the only person to have lived past five years with it. Of course, he hasn't got it. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Now, Jill, you are so well known. Right, I know. He's still alive now and he'd be in his 90s. Yeah. Oh, wow, in his 90s. Incredible. Now, you are world-renowned and world-known for your book, Getting Back on Track with Megapotency Homeopathy. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners how you first discovered homeopathy? Oh, that's a fairly long story, actually. Quite lots of time. <laughs> well, when I was 12, 13, 14, my father had a factory and he decided he wanted all his workers to have the flu needle for the winter. So the family had to line it up. So we all lined up and got our flu needles one year after another for three years. And not long after that, he sold the factory anyway. But I didn't notice anything from the first needle. But after the second, I started to notice that I wasn't remembering my schoolwork as well as I should have. And by the third, I was finding it very hard to remember certain types of memories. My short-term memory was very poor, so that I was in the habit of swatting up the night before an exam, leave it till the last minute. But it didn't work very well because that was the worst time for me to try and remember things. I hadn't quite woken up to that at the time. But that meant that I started failing in some subjects. And when it got to leaving exams, I didn't get enough. I failed in history. I failed first in German in the intermediate. So they put me into history and that was terrible because that was all dates. You can't <laughs> remember dates if you haven't got a good memory. <laughs> so I failed in history too. So that meant I didn't get enough money for a scholarship to go to, to university. And I was going to do pharmacy. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So I was saved from doing pharmacy because my dad said, I'm sorry, but I can't pay for you to go because I'm probably going to have to pay for your younger brother who's coming up shortly and I can't afford to pay for both of you. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go and get a job. So I did. And by the time I was about 17 or 18 or about that time when I started work, about 18, I started to notice that I was getting to be allergic to cats and we had two cats and I was never allergic to them before mm -hmm. but I was getting allergy symptoms if they happened to scratch me a tiny bit or get too close to my nose and I thought that's not very nice so I put myself onto some allergy drugs from the chemist and then when I was 21 my next door neighbour friend who had gone into nursing was working not far from where I was living, and we used to see each other. And she said, the gynecologist I work with thinks we all should have a smallpox vaccination. He says smallpox is bound to be coming to Australia soon and we all should have a vaccine. So we both went and had our smallpox vaccinations. Now, this girl died probably about 20 years ago, but I found the answers and carried on. Mm. I didn't know 
that it was because of this initially. But within a couple of weeks of having the smallpox vaccine, I came down with a very nasty post-nasal yellow, horrible mucus problem. Mm. And I'd get to work in the morning and have to cough 10 minutes before I could start work. I'd wake up in the morning and have to cough for 10 minutes, cough it out for 10 minutes before I could start getting any, even getting to work. So I went back to the doctor and he gave me an antibiotic. And that helped. A couple of weeks later, it was all on again. That next antibiotic helped. And after that, that was cleared up another couple of weeks before it all started again. And this went on for three months. No, more than that, six months. And he said to me, I think I'd better send you to the ear, nose and throat specialist. I said, well, okay. And I went to the ear, nose and throat specialist who was not as old as I am now, but he was pretty doddery and wavery. And he said to me, you'll be right there. Just have your tonsils out. <laughs> so I went and had my tonsils out and, that was fine for a week or two, and then it all started again. And it went on and on, more antibiotics. Every couple of weeks, the same problem would recur after the benefit had happened. And after another three months, he said, I think I'd better send you to the allergy specialist. So I went to the allergy specialist, and they did the rest test on my arm, and I reacted to every single one of the 38 or whatever scratches, nearly fainted on their floor, and... They mixed up a concoction that had to be injected once a week for 13 weeks. So here's another three months gone. By the time the 13th week had happened, I could not lie down and sleep lying down and breathe at the same time. I had to lie in this chair like this, a recliner chair, wondering how on earth I was ever going to get any sleep and thinking this is absolutely the pits. And after three nights of that, suddenly the light came on and I thought, these guys haven't got a clue. <laughs> and if they don't know, I'll have to find out for myself. And I just happened to be working in the city, not far from the Adyar bookshop, and I noticed I used to go there because they had interesting books on flying saucers and things like that. So I was in there one day and I noticed they had books on self-healing. And I took home two little books about dietary healing and one of them said, give up on the five white death products. White rice, white flour, uh, white, white sugar. sugar, pasteurized milk and refined salt. So I did all that and within two weeks the whole problem had gone and didn't come back. <laughs> now, I know now that it wasn't just because of the diet change it was because I took the responsibility it was a hydrastis thing all along if I'd known at the time I would have been able to take hydrastis 200 and got rid of it and would never have had to go to the doctor however it was inspiring that I was able to get well from just changing my diet so I learned more about foods and diet and also noticed then that they had books on homeopathy and I took home the magic of the minimum dose by mm. Dorothy and it was the best thing I could have ever done because she was a doctor herself. She knew all about the medical viewpoint of things and she'd become a homeopath. And I realised then why I had not been 
put into pharmacy. Mm. Why I'd been saved from that. <laughs> and I knew then that homeopathy was the way to go. So I was only 25 or 24 or something like that when I discovered homeopathy. And never looked back. But it was still another 10 years or more before I found anybody teaching it in Sydney. There was no one until Alan Jones started up the year before I went to him. And I started in 79. So he must have started in 78 teaching. Well, I was born in 79. So I can tell you that was 43 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how lovely. Amazing. You're in the age of homeopathy in Australia. <laughs> Actually, there were people teaching it in Melbourne and I think possibly somewhere else before that too, but not in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky. But in the meantime, I had found other people who were keen on homeopathy. I lived in Barrel by this time and Barrel is about two hours out of Sydney and my friends who were homeopathically oriented were also nurses in the maternity ward at the local hospital and they used to take their homeopathy books in when they were on night shift and study all night. (laughs) And one of them came back and said, came back from Sydney and said, Alan Jones is teaching homeopathy. I said, oh, wacko. Is he going to do it again next year? I think so. Yes, I think so. So, and she said, what's more, he's building a house in Mittagong, which is only five minutes away, and he's going to be coming down on Saturday to work on the house. So I said, got the address. (laughs) So I turned up there Saturday morning, and here he is standing in his trench that he was digging out for his foundations. I said to him, I hear you're teaching homeopathy. Yes. You're teaching again next year? Oh, I suppose so, if I get enough interest. Oh, <laughs> I could just picture you standing there with him in his change coat, digging his foundation and him considering yeah. it. Oh, so I said, I know I'm happy to go up to Sydney and do that and I know one of, at least one of my friends will mm-hmm. from down here. So when the time came, I said to him, do we need to book in or pay in advance or anything? No, no, just turn up on the day. It'll be the, the first Wednesday in February or something. 6pm till 10 or whatever it mm. was. So we rolled up, it took us two hours because there was no freeway that, there at that time and two hours to get home. So we used to record all his talks and play them back in the car on the way home so that we got a double barrel of it. Yeah. And that was very helpful. And at the time he was working under the auspices of the Australian Institute of Homeopathy which was a Sydney group mainly of homeopathic enthusiasts, patients and keen people, but not very many qualified people because there just weren't very many in Sydney. I wonder if the ones that were there were mostly from those that came out from Europe or where did those practitioners come from? They'd been trained in other places. Yes, one of them, like Alan himself, was trained in New Zealand. Okay. And... The Sydney doctors, Dr. De Reuter was from Holland and others were trained in England. So there weren't very many at the time. I think 
in 79, there was probably only seven or eight homeopathic doctors in Sydney. Wow. And there wouldn't have been that many books either. So you would have had, you know, all the classic texts, which can be so hard and dry to read sometimes. So all these enthusiasts, they would have been just training up themselves and I'm guessing getting together and trying things out. And where would they even have got their remedies from? Oh, no, because Martin and Pleasance would have been here because they've been in Australia for 100 years. Yes, but they were not in Sydney. We had a chemist in Sydney, Newton's Pharmacy, mm -hmm. who made up the remedies, and they had mm -hmm. a they employed a homeopath mm -hmm. also for consultations. And not long after I was studying, another chemist started up also providing remedies. So that was helpful because he was happy to post them out to me. Mm. So we weren't doing too badly, and. As it happened, the remedies we came to be able to make for ourselves because of buying, taking Alan's advice and buying a radionic remedy maker. He had bought himself one from Magneto Geometrics in England, Magneto Geometric Applications, their full name is, and they were the little machine with four slots and cards that you put in the slot and he put the pills or the drops in the well and set the dial to the potency that he wanted. And off you went. Every slot had its own potency. So you could put different potencies on the one remedy if you wanted to. And I got one of those as soon as I graduated because I could see that living out of Sydney was not really a great way of building up your supply yeah. of remedy. Yeah. And the association that like the Institute at that time was consisted of about 40 or 50 people. As time went on, I became the newsletter editor. We converted into the Australian Federation of Homeopaths by linking up with the Melbourne group. Mm -hmm. We also had a branch in Canberra. And then a few years later, there were other homeopathic groups who wanted to be part of it, so we created the Australian Homeopathic Association. Oh, is that okay? That's wonderful. So and that's yeah. the same AHA that's still running now. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. I didn't know that story. Yeah. So it all started off with a little group with two offices, one in Sydney and one in Canberra. Oh, <laughs> that's lovely, Jill. Yeah, from little acorns, big oaks can grow. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, I usually I'm a little bit lazy in the garden and I will buy seedlings <laughs> but now and again I'll like my carrots and my beetroot I'll always grow from seed because it just seems silly to buy carrot seedlings so whenever I grow my carrots and my beetroot from seed I mean my children we just love pulling them up and just eating them straight out of the ground it always <laughs> blows my mind that this beautiful sweet delicious thing came from this tiny little seed it's quite fascinating it's yeah. magical growing your own food so just so you can see what it comes from yeah. it's something so amazing can grow from this tiny little seed or the potential that's holding they're beautiful now can i ask you how you then became interested in the mega potencies so you're obviously so yeah. well known for your work on this and your incredible book getting back on track with mega potency homeopathy has inspired so many homeopaths, including myself, around the world. And I've always known about it, but I haven't used it as much because I think 
it sometimes can be a little bit of a mental leap when we study homeopathy, we get used to using tissue salts and 30 C's and 200 C's and people get taught, ooh, if it's a high potency, it's a 1M. So sometimes when you have that training, it could be a bit of a mental leap to then use the higher potencies. And before we maybe go into the mega potencies, I might just quickly mention for the general public, that's obviously a, a C potency is decimal potency. And then that's a hundred times diluted in succus. And then we get to the like a one M, which is a thousand times, and a 10M is 10,000 times, and a CM is a hundred thousand. Can you tell the general public what are mega potencies? How would you define them? Certainly. Mega potencies, I coined the word mega because I got sick of writing very high potencies. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought mega means thousands, and we're well up in the thousands. When you patentize a substance to create a homeopathic remedy, you dilute it at the rate of one in 10 drops to get what we call an X potency, or one in 100 drops to get what we call a C potency. And all the potencies above that are C potencies. They may have M's after them, in after their numbers. For example, to get a 200 C meaning centesimal, we dilute at the rate of one drop in a hundred, 200 times. Yes. So one drop in a hundred, and then you succuss it, bang it on your hand for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and then dilute again that amount, one percent of that amount into another 99 and succuss again mm -hmm. and keep going that and to do that 100 times you've got 100 c to do it 200 times you've got 200 c to do it a thousand times you've got what we call m and m is the roman numeral for a thousand but it means 1000 c really yes <laughs> because it's one in a one in a hundred, one in C, a thousand times. So what we're using with megapotencies is CM, which is a hundred thousand times diluted one in a hundred. MM is a thousand thousand or a millionth potency. And of course, they don't sell you these handmade because nobody wants to sit there and dilute and succuss something a million times. <laughs> to make a small enough quantity, you know, that you can't make a big quantity and dilute it unless you've got a machine to do it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a cussing process. <laughs> and it's just unworkable from to do it by hand. Mm. So 10 mm, my favourite potency, it's benign and it's very successful if you've got the right remedy. 10 million times patentised is just beyond thought to do it by hand. So having the radionic remedy maker is very easy because you can easily set the dial to go up to 10 mm. I even had one machine for a good number of years that would take it up to mmm, which is... Wow, that would be brilliant. Possibly more, I don't know. <laughs> Not quite sure what a billion is. Yes. So it's possible to do that. And I did use some of those extra, extra mega potencies sometimes but not very often because I got good results with the others mm. that's interesting so you're saying 
cm, which would be 100,000 times, that's not actually physically 100,000 times diluted and succussed. It's one drop in 100 drops. It is one drop in 100 succussed 100,000 times, but not, but not physically done that way. It's on a radiotics machine. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you machine ever since I first started in practice because I was out of town and it wasn't that easy to have a large number of remedies on hand for patients I just found the machine so much easier so I've really very rarely in my life ever had to buy a homeopathic remedy I wish I knew that 1,700 remedies ago because I've got 1,700 remedies and we've started to run out of space one thing I would say that is like Dr. Robin Murphy he said that the radiotics remedies he finds is really good for more short term. So if you have a radiotics remedy that's been sitting there for a few years, it might not be as effective. So he was suggesting that the physical remedies that was originally made from the physical substance and diluted and succussed, that they don't ex- they kind of hold their potency, whereas the radiotics ones he found that after a few years of sitting around, they weren't as effective. What do you find? I remake mine if they, I, I always write the date on them that I've made them. Okay. And when I pick them up, I check what the date is. And if it's seven years or more, I we'll put it back on. in the box and repatentize it. Okay. So, you, so you, you're not saying that home remedy kits are obsolete. <laughs> we can still have our home remedy kits. <laughs> and they're going to last with. Okay. And see everyone like Arthur's episode throwing away their remedy kits and buying radionics machines. But I guess it's not that practical to take your radionics machine out camping with you. So it's good to still have your remedies at home. Well, it's not too hard these days. It's not too hard at all. I have two. Well, three. The three that I have now are all portable. They're not, they're not all plug-in ones. Mm-hmm. You can take them anywhere. And the latest one I got is different from the ones with cards. It uses rate numbers, and you just turn the dials to get the numbers in. Mm-hmm. It's a lightweight thing. It's about that big. A centimeter. Very light, and you can take it camping with you and hardly know you've got it with you. All you need is your book of rate numbers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're going to have to give me the name of that afterwards because I know everyone's going to want to email you and ask which one you use. So if you tell me afterwards, I'll put it in the show notes so people can see what it is because they'll probably, and I will have to warn that company because they're probably going to get a whole bunch of emails after this episode. <laughs> it's called Bionetics and I bought it from, a, it comes from England. Okay. just can't think of the name of the firm that I got it from originally. I've got two of them, one that plugs into the power and one that doesn't. Oh, interesting. Now, something I always thought was interesting, Jill, is that when somebody's had their whole skeleton kind of misaligned from a really big accident, like my husband played rugby and he was a scrum for many years. So he has all these really horrible pains in his skeletal system, especially in his neck because it was in the scrum for so many years. And He'd regularly have to go to Cairo. It would only hold for a short period of time. Then he'd have to go back and nothing's really fixing it. But something I didn't, like I always thought homeopathy can help to a point, but homeopathy can't actually make musculoskeletal changes. Now you also have this osteopathic (laughs) and chiropractic (laughs) background, which when I was listening to the audio book of your book and the hard copy you've seen to me, which I can't wait 
I had no idea that homeopathy can actually make musculoskeletal changes. And of course, with you having this osteopathic chiropractic background, you can actually feel the difference in the body. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because that's something that blew my mind. I first met Brian in 1968 when we were at osteopathy school together. And then I left the college before I'd graduated because I had a baby and wasn't able to keep on going. And didn't see him again for 25 years. And he had moved up the North Coast. I didn't know. I'd never kept in touch with him. But we decided to move up to the North Coast and on the way past his practice on the main road. And I said to Maury, I know that bloke. I was at college with him 25 years ago. <laughs> so he said, oh, we'd better go and see, see say hello one day. So we did. It was a Sunday. He was working in his office, catching up on something. And he came to the door and he was just about to say, sorry, I don't see people on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him who we were. And so we had a good chat and he said, oh, I need a homeopath. Could you come down when you find somewhere to live? Can you come and work with me today, Monday a month or something? I'll find patients for you. I said, certainly, yeah. And we found somewhere to live, which was an hour away from where he was. And we also found out that he was running a massage school. He thought that he was only going to do it for one year. But we said to him, will you be doing that again next year? <laughs> because Murray said, I'd love to do that. And I said, well, I wouldn't mind too. Having done the theory of the osteopathy, I never got into the practical work. <laughs> so I was interested to do the massage. So we both did the course and took along a few more friends that we'd met in the, the local area that we'd moved to. And the school kept on running for another 12 years after that. But unfortunately, Maury didn't. The funny thing was, Murray used to say to me, he, he moved, I got him to move north because I couldn't get him away from his business if I didn't move him out of the town. <laughs> and he had a bad heart. We knew he had a bad heart because he'd been operated on 13 years earlier. Mm. And so we finished the massage course, graduated with a ceremony in February the next year, and... By this time, it's 1991, he had a big heart attack and died. And the funny thing was, I didn't realise until about six months later that he had been saying to me every now and then, you should be with Brian, you should be with Brian. Oh, I used to say, what are you talking about? I'm happy with you. <laughs> I know Brian's a good bloke, but... <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. Hey? So you've got the same interest well, he knew, yes. Mm. I suppose he spent 13 years waiting to die. Wow. <laughs> when you think about it. But it took us a number of months to wake up to the fact that we should be together. Oh. Mm. And in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, he'd, he'd uh, managed to find me quite a number of patients. And I was, after Maury died, I realised I had to, earn a proper living because I'd gone up there on a carer's pension mm -hmm. 
because of Murray being on an invalid pension. And they said to me at the government office, they said, no, we can't give you a widow's pension because you're not old enough. You've got to be old to be a widow. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be 55 and I wasn't. So I thought, well, I better start earning more money then. And uh, so I, we had actually been, this is, we'd been living there for over a year, two years maybe, mm. and I had been going to home visits in Port Macquarie and that was working out very nicely. And I continued doing that and I kept going down to where Brian's office was and building up a group down there, practice, it was really nice. Then Brian started coming with me to the home visits on one day a week in Port mm. Macquarie. And this was about the time that we were learning, starting to learn about the megapotencies. And we had no idea what was ahead of us. Really. How did you learn about it, though? Like, where was the first place that you heard that it started to resonate with you? Well, I had started using high, pretty high potencies. I used 50Ms of Staphysagria for myself mm. before I actually moved north. And that was good. Mm. And I was inspired to do that because I used to buy these wonderful American homeopathic journals from way back in the 1890s and I'd read things like cured with one dose of Nat Mercy M mm. cured with one dose of such and such 43M and I'm thinking 43M these guys have hand succussed this to 43,000 times <laughs> why aren't we taught that this is good why aren't we taught that you can achieve miracles with one dose of something like that and that would have been before radionics, surely, because I know radionic machines have been around for a long time, but surely not in the late 1800s. No, no way. Mm. They also didn't have the internet and Instagram and Facebook then, so they had a bit more time on their hands to answer cussing. They did, they did. <laughs> probably sitting with us, I can imagine yeah. them sitting there with a big cigar, probably hanging out of the mouth in like a whiskey or something, and the hands are cussing it. No TV to watch. <laughs> well, no, you could, you could probably employ a few people to do it too. Probably, yeah. How interesting. Yeah. And 43M, that's pretty random. I think he just was like, stuff that. I'm not going to 44. This, that's it. You're getting 43M. <laughs> no more. So I was inspired by that and I thought, well, I'll try 50M. And, and that was very successful. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't totally successful. It didn't cure my problem, mm. which was chronic fatigue resulting from all the vaccines and whatever mm. from so long ago. Mm. And I uh, thought that Staphylococcus was worth pursuing. And later on, after I got going with Brian, I took a, um, a CM or something. I've forgotten which, a CM or MM. And that was absolutely magical, really cleared must have been MM, I think, because it really cleared the whole problem out totally. Oh. And so I got inspired and started using Staphylococcus very high potencies for mm. various patients. And I was lucky because I used to go into Brian's office if I didn't have anybody mm. to sit with his people and see what their problems were like and which remedy I might offer them if they were happy to have a remedy. Mm -hmm. and 
that's how we came to be focusing mostly on the, the trauma remedies because Annika, Ruta, they're the kind of patients that he was getting. Mm. <laughs> and I was, in addition to, that's when I started using Annika and didn't latch on to Ruta for a couple of years yet. Then we had the experience of hydrastis with Brian and thought, golly, I've never heard of hydrastis being an injury remedy before. Never, yeah. I when I was listening the, to your book, I was also just thinking about the pictures that you come up with with these remedies. It's just, it's so deep and it's so profound. And I love listening to your journey of how you discovered each remedy. Or maybe not you discovered, maybe how the universe decided, okay, Jill's ready for this remedy. I'm going to bring this into her consciousness now. But you can see it was a very universally led process almost it's like the universe wanted you to absorb this information make it your own and then take you to the next step and then digest that all so that all us homeopaths around the world can benefit from all of this down the track it was actually more specific than universal Mm. i still have a guide who conveys messages to me through my pendulum and that was an experience in itself too. I had to learn to use wow. the pendulum. I was forced into that. I had a pendulum and it wouldn't move. It hanged, dropped like a stone. It was just something terrible. For years, it would just hang dead. You've got it right there in your pocket. I never without one. Wow. So here it was, hanging like a dead rock. And I developed... Oh, because I put it away in the drawer and forgot about it, didn't I? I developed a head cold Mm -hmm. symptom picture, found the right remedy, took it. Two days later, another head cold symptom picture, different remedy, took Mm -hmm. the remedy, went away. Every two days, a new remedy and a new different set of symptoms. And finally, after a month of all this, the symptom of the day was sneezing all day. <laughs> and I was absolutely fed up with sneezing all day. So I went to the drawer and found the little pendulum. And I said to it, I've had this. If you can help me, would you please go clockwise to say yes or anti-clockwise to say no? You have to specify what you're going to understand it. Mm. So gradually I started to get this tiny, tiny little positive clockwise circle so I thought Struth what do I say next (laughs) so I thought yeah and I was lucky because I had in front of me a set of remedies that I'd been making up for somebody for a first aid kit and so I picked out the sneezing remedies do I need arsenicum yes do I need nux vomica yes gelsemium yes allium super yes stop <laughs> I'm supposed to be using only one remedy at a time. No. <laughs> really? Yes. Is this the right potency? No. So I had to think about the different potencies. 200s I wanted. Okay. Do I make them all up together? Yes. Really? <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't dare ask, do I need any others? so i made them all up and took one dose and the whole problem vanished and the pendulum was working wow the whole exercise was to get me to use a pendulum now 
David Tansley wrote books about radiographics and homeopathy, and he was a chiropractor. And he had in his one of his books he had a chart that he used to use. I he came out to Australia, and I had the job in 1981 of picking him up from his hotel and taking him to where the conference was, the seminar that he was speaking at. And we had a whole two days with him, which was really excellent. And considering that most of us were not even practitioners <laughs> in 1981, it was my good luck that I was able to chat with him because he also, oh, I said to him, we're going to England next year and they might be able to come and see you. He said, oh, yes, come and visit us. Yes, we'll give you dinner. So he gave me his address and turns out he lived in a little, what do you call those things, a mobile home. Oh, yeah. House. A house yeah. in a village of mobile homes. Oh, cool. Which are fairly common around England. But they're just they're nothing like a mobile home vehicle. They're a house. Mm but a very compact one. Mm. And so Maury and I went to visit him and we had a lovely meal with his wife and his daughter. And through the evening, I started to develop a bad cough, bad throat. Seems to be a problem for me, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the evening, like about 10.30, we were about to get up and go, but I said to him, David, I've hate to do this to you but I really have no remedies with me and I really would like to know if you can help me with this silly throat so he said come into my office so I went into his office it was fully three feet wide and three feet deep <laughs> just a desk with a whole lot of bookshelves above it and a chair in front of it and he uh, pulled out his burkey and opened it up at the index at the back and went down with his pendulum and came to C and came to Sinchona. Oh. He said, I'm getting Sinchona, but I don't have a card for that. I said, yes, you do. It's called China. <laughs> <laughs> so he made me up China. He doused on the potency and found that, whatever it was. He didn't make it up for me to take away. He took sample of my hair from the back of my head and stuck my name and a birth date on it and put it in the well of his box with china on it and that was enough i just went off and the cough went away oh my gosh yeah but he had so he didn't give you a physical remedy he had made these charts no no purely radionic <laughs> oh it's amazing. I mean, you can so, tell why people give homeopaths a hard time, right? Because that just sounds full on voodoo. Well, who says that voodoo hasn't got some good behind oh, it? Oh, I don't some, say it doesn't. Behind <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I have compassion so, for the skeptics. I can see why they give us a hard time because anyone who's not open minded is going to find this really hard to believe. But you have the physical evidence of it making well, right. my eldest brother is a chemical engineering professor and at 86 he's still working wow he thought he might retire but he hasn't yet 
and he thinks that I have wasted my life on something that doesn't exist, you know, homeopathic <laughs> medicine, something that's, that's a non-thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Being a chemist, he hasn't worked out yet that life force and mm. healing energies are physics, not chemistry. It really is. <laughs> so wow. when you're talking about physics, you're talking about radio waves, and that's why this remedy was able to be sent to me through the radio waves through the air. So, Jill, can I ask you, is it okay to just kind of circle back to the, I mean, I love listening to your stories. So just, and we've got lots of time, by the way, I'm in no rush. <laughs> but I really would love to know just how you found that the mega potencies can make structural changes. Because I know in the book you were saying like how you could actually palpate these changes. But that's one thing that I thought, Yes. Like homeopathy can't help on that level. You're going to have to just keep going back to the chiropractor, but you've discovered otherwise. That's right. Well, I used to go with Brian to the chiropractic seminars. Mm. Now, my pendulum advisor kept saying to me, look at the sphenoid, look at the sphenoid, look at the sphenoid, spelling it out on this alphabet chart that was one of David Tansley's charts. I said to Brian, what's so important about the sphenoid? Where is it anyway? And, of course, being a teacher of anatomy, he just said, look it up. <laughs> he didn't say where it was. I knew it was in the head. That was all I remembered. Mm. But it turns out that it's critically important because it runs behind your eyes from just temple to temple. And in the centre of it is the pituitary gland in a little hole called the cella tersica. It sits in this hole. And the nerve and blood supply come up from the bottom through the hole into the pituitary. Mm. So I thought that's important, but I'm not quite sure why. So we went to a, what they call an SOT seminar, sacro-occipital technique seminar, and it was put on for chiropractors and their assistants. And the assistants were in a different room learning how to help the chiropractor to do cranial adjustments by thumbs in the mouth and all sorts of things, holding the head right while he does it. The teacher said, and this phenoid bone, which is in perpetual motion, I said, what? Perpetual motion? He said, yes, all the cranial bones are in perpetual motion. They're constantly vibrating, which is why we have sutures. And if anything happens to stop that vibrational if there's muscle tension pulling on a bone so that it can't continue its vibration, that's when you start to get into trouble. But he said the sphenoid bone is the most critical because of the pituitary. You lock up the sphenoid with muscle tension, you start to crimp off the nerve and blood supply of the pituitary mm. because you're pulling the bone sideways that the pituitary is trying to be fed from below. Interesting. So I thought you, I said to him, You've just told me here. <laughs> it just cut out there again. You said, You've just told me why I am here. Oh, amazing. So, having worked out that the sphenoid was critically important in terms of muscle tensions and whatever, and knowing that the sphenoid housed the pituitary, which is the master gland for all of the anterior part of it, is the master gland area for all the endocrine system functions and the posterior for certain others of them as well, I realised then that it was a critically important bone and it had to be 
in its right position to be working properly. And if people were their sphenoid pulled out of alignment and other cranial bones sometimes with it, then there's got to be a reason what's causing that to happen. And somehow or other, I can't remember exactly how it happened, I came to realise that the muscle tension that was pulling the sphenoid out was these critical muscles down the side of the face. And for me, Staphysagria had solved not only that problem, but a problem with my jawbone as well here, which had been out since I'd had orthodontics when I was younger. <laughs> so I'd seen that Staphysagria had actually corrected this joint mm. and was probably correcting this joint. And now I was seeing why, because the muscle tensions here were pulling on that bone. And why is it, what is it in Staphysagria that can create muscle tension around the jaw? Suppressed anger, suppressed indignation. And when you suppress something, you lock it in and cause that tension in the muscles. And that was the start of a long journey of working out what other remedies had emotional relationships and psychological aspects that were actually causing chronic situations to us requiring high potencies, very high potencies. So we just went from one to another and ended up 10 years or something in the making. I decided at the end I'd better start writing a book about all this, but I only had nine remedies but I knew there were going to be 10. I'd been told that I was going to have 10 remedies. Mm -hmm. And I started, I'd wake up with an idea of something I remembered. I'd better put that in the book. So I'd write it on a scrap of paper, stick it in a manila folder. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting so many that I had to divide them up into different chapters. So I ended up with all, a manila folder for each chapter <laughs> of all these little bits of paper. <laughs> and I still didn't have the 10th remedy but I thought I'd better start making sense out of all this so I started on the early chapters by the time I got to chapter six I had discovered what the 10th remedy was going to be and it turned out to be the remedy that I needed for somebody I'd been treating for about 10 years which I cannot <laughs> and I couldn't believe that aconite could be a chronic disease remedy because that's not what we're taught. We're taught, no, we're taught you know, yeah, we're taught you know, after 24 hours, you don't use the remedy anymore. It's useless. Virtually. <laughs> 24 to 48 and hours. We did know, though, we did know that a problem that had developed after us a fright mm. months ago oh, absolutely. might need aconite, yes. Mm. So we could see that. Mm, yeah, so if somebody had a very frightening or a very fast birth and they come to see you even when they're 20, 30 or 50, you can still you can give aconite in a very high... Oh, really? <laughs> you can still give aconite to release that fright and shock. But certainly for acute situations, you get yeah. told that after 24 to 48 hours, aconite won't work anymore. Yes, it was a real eye-opener. I could hardly believe it myself. It was just so amazing how brilliantly people were getting such good results out of it. And the funny thing that I never got to write in the book, I'd already written the book by this time. Now I could have written it in, but I thought I'd better not. <laughs> I gave a vial of, I'll tell you now. I gave a vial of aconite 10mm to a friend who used to work with me on experimenting with things. 
And I said to her, see what you can get out of this. And she took it home and she knew what aconite was about. I'd given her lectures in first aid remedies and so on. And the farmer across the road had some sick cattle. They all had what he called three-day sickness, which is something that they get from standing in wet ground in chilly weather. And so Anna thought, I'll give this a try and see what happens. Mm. So she gave all the sick cattle a dose of aconite 10mm and I was still of the opinion that it was really only for dealing with chronic problems mm. in that potency. But in half an hour, all those cows were up and running. Wow. <laughs> oh, it must have been placebo. Surely the cows knew that you were giving it something to make it feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It must be placebo, surely. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes, I'm not sure if cows are prone to placebo. (laughs) That was very much sarcastic just for any of the listeners that didn't get that. (laughs) You just never know, do you? Mm. Anyway, it worked. So that was inspiring too because it was the first inkling I had that you could possibly use a mega potency for an acute problem. Mm. Not that I ever did it again for a long, long, long time. But I have done it once or twice and it's sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Mm. That's interesting to know. So you feel that megapotencies have their best work done in more chronic situations rather than acute. Definitely. And the reason is that when you get a traumatic happening, whether it's a grief shock or a physical shock, arnica type bumps and bruises type shock from football or router from getting your joints knocked about Mm. or a fright shock, doesn't matter. Mm. Even thoughts that are not particularly of a sudden shock nature can become the cause of chronic diseases. And it was very interesting to see how it evolved that we would give the remedy that should have been given 15 or 30 years ago for the trauma that these people had suffered and all of a sudden their current problems would start vanishing. Now, I did find that in order to be successful with that, you do have to be able to relate the remedy symptom picture, the old shock remedy symptom Mm. picture, to today's issues. Mm. But that's pretty easy because aconite affects the heart. When you get a shock, you get something heart. People with chronic heart disease frequently need aconite. Aconite affects the kidneys. And chronic kidney disease, people frequently do well on aconite, as they would have done on sulfur as well, would do after they've had the aconite. It's pretty similar in the sense that I use the remedies in the same sort of sequence as I would if they were all lower potencies. I'd give the aconite first, the mineral remedy after the plant remedy. Mm. And I do that always, because I think that plant remedies containing so many minerals have a lot more scope being less specific and it's almost yeah I never really thought about that word but it's almost a more holistic way of looking at it you're first giving it in its it's with all the cofactors and everything around it and then giving the mineral like a more specific targeted approach that's interesting yes maybe on the specific yeah. organ or whatever that's in trouble and yeah so it's a bit of a gentler way yes. almost to introduce it as well because you're giving it all its all its parts and then 
getting in there. Do you have you found that you get less aggravations that way, or does it just intuitively feel like a better way to prescribe? I'm not sure. I developed a habit of giving two or three remedies in a row, and because quite often you can see a pattern in a patient's history mm. of one trauma requiring one remedy and another trauma requiring a different remedy, mm. and sometimes a third even. And I learned that aconite was a very good starter remedy and maybe Ignatia was next and lead him after that. Mm. Sometimes you might need the three plant remedies before you even get to a mineral. Sometimes people would say, I didn't notice much from the second remedy, but the third one was really, first and the third, they were really excellent. Yeah. Oh, and I would insist that they don't come back to me for at least four to five weeks because the pattern developed that the first three weeks after ending the sequence, I used to give them three nights each dose, each remedy, in a consecutive run, and then wait four weeks. And the pattern was that they would have old symptoms coming back at them for three weeks of different incidences in their life where they would have needed one of other of those remedies and never got it and then in the last week there'd be a bit of a plateau period maybe a week and then in the last week they start developing new symptoms and from that I was then able to assess whether to use one of those same remedies again or not or if a new remedy had come forward and on occasions some people would get a bit scared by the return of the old symptoms I remember one woman took a I think she took sepia 10 mm or something and it brought on such an attack of diarrhea that she raced herself into hospital drove 40 minutes to get to hospital Mm -hmm. thinking that she was going to be dehydrated i would have just kept drinking (laughs) but she panicked about it and solved the problem anyway i never really heard whether it did the job or not because she wasn't going to tell me any more about it Mm. (laughs) it kind of swore her off homeopathy forever but she was one of only two people that ever had such an adverse reaction that i was told about such a shame she didn't talk to her because that would have been such a good learning experience there's a reason why her body would have done that yes yeah and it related to when she was very young Mm. yes it it definitely related to when she was young a return of old symptoms Mm. She didn't kind of twig to that initially. Mm. And it's interesting, maybe down the track she might have. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like we're just a part of somebody's health journey. We might not be all an end all where we heal everything for them, just like other practitioners that they see along their way to coming to see us. We also play a part in their life's journey towards health. So sometimes we just need to kick things off for them to then go and see somebody else who's actually meant to complete the healing path but it's frustrating when it's not us because you know it's such a great learning opportunity so we want to know what the end result was so we can learn from that and help other people but you have to sometimes just take a deep breath stay humble stay centered and know that we are actually just also part just part of the journey part of their journey very true i find it's quite good fun to mm-hmm. communicate with other practitioners who are treating the same person and find out what their findings were like particularly with Brian he can tell me what's happening on the body and I can make assessments from that 
about what you know get the hints towards the remedies and sometimes I can say to him oh look that's a typical hydrastis picture mm. and he'll say oh yes I can see that now yes <laughs> oh. and I love that you because of the osteopathy that he can actually feel or you can actually feel the changes in the body so I mean, in the book, you talk about people that, you know, would have to go for regular treatments for like weeks and months and years. And then you give a remedy and then suddenly that practitioner, that hands-on practitioner can feel the difference in the muscles. They can feel the difference in the body. I have a lot of clients that work with chiropractors and so often they will come back to me and say, my chiro could really feel that this muscle has finally relaxed or this is finally relaxed or they were able to work on a deeper level than they ever could before. So I really like working alongside other practitioners like that where they can give you the feedback oh it's really excellent especially when you've got permission to even go into the room with them oh, amazing. <laughs> and uh, so brian and i've treated the same people very many times yes how lucky for those patients it was wonderful learning experience for us yes. and it was because i would go into his that i learned that Arnica people have a dip in their back where the dorsal spine is supposed to be curving upwards. At T2 to 4, it goes in like this. And you can see it. They're lying on the bench with their nose in the hole and their back's dipping down like this instead of curving over. Well, that's something else that I don't know if you have time for us to go into this, but something that fascinates me so much is how you've noticed the struck the faces, the marks on the face, like how people have different expressions on their face depending on the remedies do you have time to go into why that is well why they have those particular lines i don't know why they do but they do we noticed it mainly because once we started learning about staphysagria mm -hmm. i think everybody in the tari district came in who needed staphysagria to get their share and it took nearly two years and I was giving it out to nearly everyone who came through the door. And then I could see the characteristics on their faces that were so similar to each other. Mm. I've got the typical Staphysagria smile. Well, I've got this very deep frown line on what's at my left, is the left-hand side? Yeah, it's my left, yeah. I don't know if that, what that is, but <laughs> I'll have to go look it up in your book. <laughs> Here's the long fringe. <laughs> Keep your hair like that. <laughs> and also because I'm too lazy to do my eyebrows. <laughs> well, we found that everyone who's coming in needing staphysoria had similarities. Mm -hmm. so that's how I was able to deduce what characteristics represented staphysoria. Mm -hmm. And then we got to a point where about four or five people were coming in who hadn't got the benefit out of the remedy. Mm -hmm. Might have been six or seven. And I said to myself, maybe they've all got something in common and it's a different remedy they need. So I looked into them better and found, yes, that they had all had violent accidents or injuries, falls from horses, motor bike accidents, motor car accidents, mm. sudden violent shock in that sense. And I thought maybe they need Hypericum for spinal shock. So... I started using Hypericum and bingo, they all got better. Mm. So from there on, everyone in the district who needed Hypericum came in to see me and the Staphysagra <laughs> people just dropped off. They were better and they didn't come anymore. 
we were still getting the odd conium or arnica or hydrastis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when hypericum came on, it's like the message goes out. Your mind's thinking of something and the people who need it home in on it and come in. Yeah. Marvellous. And that went on for another couple of years. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely staggering. And we didn't get to do some of the other remedies until the latter half of the 10 years. We spent so long doing these other ones. <laughs> well, I think part of that is also because you are learning to recognise certain things. So that always takes longer than the last part. So it, it does make sense because you're just kind of dipping your feet into what it is that you still need to learn. And then once you've got that down pat, the last part is always easier. I find this like with anything in life. Well, that's probably right. So did you then start looking at old pictures of the clients or how did you then discover the facial features and how that relates to certain remedies? Well, we got so many certain types of smiles and certain types of lines that we were, it was just automatic. to wow. use an Ignatia person coming in. And the Ignatia person is also a Lycopodium or an Atmer person with these two vertical lines here. In the eyebrows. And, uh, in the in the furrow, is it a furrow or what's that called? I'm just trying to describe it. Yeah, I'm trying to describe it for our listeners who don't have the video. Okay. Two, two single vertical. No, just two vertical lines up from the forehead, from the eyebrows. Okay, and this upwards. Okay. Yeah. If they're not dead vertical, they're not Ignatia. Okay. If they go in sideways, it's different again. Oh, interesting. Yep. And if there's only one of them or if they're too close together, if they're much closer into the to the centre uh-huh. but there's still two straight lines vertically, that we found out was Chelidonium. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's fascinating me, like what is it in the body that's creating these lines? Or what? Thinking. It's the way you're thinking, mm-hmm. your attitude, your beliefs. Mm-hmm because that's what causes the muscles to punch up or whatever. Exactly. And if you if that's the dominating thought or emotion that you have over a period of time, it's going to become etched on your face. Yes. And if it was a sudden traumatic event, the shock of it creates mm-hmm. a shock block in your energy field. Mm-hmm. And that means that your self-healing from that point onwards in that part of your energy field is mm-hmm. blocked from operating properly Mm. so when you get the right remedy on the right frequency it bridges that gap Mm. in the block and annihilates the block and allows energies to flow freely and healing takes place sometimes overnight yeah it's wonderful so jill i wonder do you have a final message that you want to leave our listeners with and then after that we'll tell them how they can get hold of your book but just is there like a final message that you want to share with our listeners there's one message that we must always keep in mind and that is never continue to take something that's not your benefit you can imagine that you definitely need this particular remedy and you could be right but you may not need it right now there may be something else that you need right now and if the remedy you're taking that you convinced you needed isn't doing any good don't keep taking it because you'll end up aggravating the symptoms you've already got bringing out more symptoms of the what that remedy could cure so 
That applies to any potency. Mega doses. You just do not keep taking something. No, I'll tell you a story about that. Mm-hmm. I had a woman come in 40 years ago who was in need of Nuxformica. And I gave her Nuxformica 200 and she went away. That was February. She came back in May, three months later. And she had a totally different set of Nuxformica symptoms. And I said to her, this is all still part of the same remedy I gave you in the first place. Didn't it help you? Oh, yes, it did. Oh, it was wonderful. But I wasn't willing to go back to where I had been, so I kept on taking it. So I said to her, unfortunately, you've gone full circle and started creating what it can cure. Mm. So I gave her the same remedy in a much higher dose. I think it was probably 10M or 50M or something and just wiped out the effects that she'd been accumulating. <laughs> I think I gave her the same remedy. It could have, I might have looked it up and found what an antidote might have been for it. But. I think that's why it's so great for people to have a homeopath on hand because if you can't be objective when it comes to your own body, or subjective. I can always get the two confused. So you can't be objective when it's you so knowing when to stop a remedy and actually when the symptoms that you're experiencing is actually from the remedy is hard to know so that's why it's really important to be in touch with a homeopath who can objectively look at you and go well actually you know this is what's happening we need to change the remedy we need to do this or that well it's very important no matter what you're doing to stop the remedy when the benefit is set in Mm. and If it lapses, then you take another dose, but you only take it once. And if it benefits you, you wait until the benefit lapses before you take another dose. And that works nearly every time that you get longer and longer between doses and gradually never need it again. If I find that the repeat dose doesn't do the job, I change the potency. Mm. Because potency being on different frequency levels act on different aspects in the body. And the lower potencies are more geared towards acting on the more physical level, whereas the M potency, for instance, is very psychological. You can get wonderful benefit out of going to an M from the psychological point of view. And you get this alternating the higher up you go somehow. Mm -hmm. 10M's more physical again. But, yeah. So just don't keep taking things that are not working for you. The other thing is I have found that 10 mm, which I didn't know when I wrote the book, but I've found since 10 mm is a potency that can be repeated far more than you would ever expect with continuing benefits. But again, only while it's giving you benefits. If you find it ceases to make any further benefit, then you stop taking it and reassess, allow time to work to go for it to work through. 10 mm can be expected to, in some instances, give a total cure. Sometimes it requires a bit of repetition for a month or two. If you repeat daily for 7 to 21 days, depending on how long it takes you to feel as though you've just about perfect mm-hmm. or not getting any further, mm-hmm. then that is the right way to do it. 
You can't do it with MMs. You do that with MM, you end up in trouble because it's too physically powerful and causes discomforts. Wow. MM is on a different plane altogether. So interesting. So, yes. Jill, where is the best place for people to get hold of your book? So getting back on track with megapotency homeopathy, where is the best place to purchase the book? I mean, the place is going to benefit you the most because I always feel as authors that, you know, often you don't end up with actually much of the commission of doing the book, depending on where people purchase it. So I just want to make sure that our listeners purchase it in a place that's actually going to benefit you as the person who's put all this work into creating this. Thank you. We have had some trouble with unlawful reproduction of the book, mm. selling to book companies and Amazon, and some of the copies have actually been damaged, mutilated in terms of material swapped from one page to another, mm. distorting the whole book, and we've had to trace where these copies have been coming from and get oh, them wow. off the air internet mm. it has been a nightmare for a few people mm. so what we're doing is my website that is running to sell both this book and my other the feel good flower essences book mm. is called homeopathy hyphen the true healing mm. and on that site you can get the audio book the ebook the physical copy and if you're lucky enough you might even be able to get a hard cover that's so not that's, always in print and there's something else i just want to mention so uh jill very kindly to come on agreed to come on the show with the caveats that people don't inundate her <laughs> with requests for consultations after this because there is a homeopathy group as well called mega potency now i want to make it extremely clear to all of our listeners that you need to have purchased Joel's book first and actually have read the book and then you can request to join the Facebook group. If you do that beforehand, you will automatically be declined. So don't try and join the group if you haven't first purchased the book and read it and answered the questions. Because once this group was set up, Jill was inundated with messages and she was answering emails until three and four o'clock in the morning. So we don't want that happening again. So please respect Jill's privacy. If you want to join the Facebook group, like I said, making it very clear, you need to purchase the book and read it and answer the questions to join the Facebook group. And then you can join it. It's a very respectful group. They have a very clear set of rules and boundaries to make everything very safe for everyone. I just want to put that out there as well. Thank you very much. So, Jill, thank you so much for your time. It was just a dream come true to speak with you. I feel so inspired. I'm going to go look up the Bionetics machine straight away. I just want to warn any of my patients that are out there that's listening to the show, you will be receiving some mega potency remedies <laughs> over the coming months and years. I want to warn my husband that he will be receiving some. I have got several in mind that I'm going to take, including I think I dressed as I was listening to and I was thinking that sounds like it might. But it's going to be a fun time exploring these incredible potencies. And I want to thank you so much for the wonderful work that you've done for all of us homeopaths to be able to benefit from that and our patients as well. So thank you for, with all my heart. Thank you very much. I just want to tell you one little thing. On Mother's Day, I received a beautiful bouquet of flowers 
from my son. Okay, you expect that. That's very nice. A week later, another beautiful arrangement arrived with a little card on it that said, Jill, you have turned my life around. Thank you very much. With a name on it, I didn't know, had never spoken to this girl. Estonia, she lives. I had no idea who she was, but she was part of the Facebook page and she had used our knowledge to benefit herself and there you go. She was so happy about it. And Jill's favourite flowers are roses, so if anyone wants to send her some, they are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I must say the tiger lilies that came with the roses this time were really fabulous too. So the the Facebook group all pulled together and bought Jill some flowers for her birthday just recently, which is it's a beautiful community. And Jill also does Zoom calls in there once a month to talk about the remedies in depth, which is just incredible that you still at 80 years old are taking this time to just empower people and share this incredible vast amount of knowledge that you've built up. So what a gift. Not much point in learning stuff if you can't pass it on. <laughs> well, Jill, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm very excited for the whole new cohort of homeopaths out there that's going to be getting into the mega potencies and have their mind blown by today's episode. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much.